0: Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and have hot, passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before I go any further, I have a question. Did you know it was possible for us to stop ourselves from suffering? Everyone can relate to the experience of emotional suffering. Sadness, loss, loneliness, rejection, fear, hurt. It's literally impossible to live a full life without encountering these kinds of painful emotional experiences. But it is possible with the right kind of training to shift our emotional suffering into a state of more ease. So what is suffering and why do we suffer? The simple truth is that all emotional suffering comes from our thinking. It's the thoughts in our heads that cause all the emotions we feel, whether they're good or bad or neutral. So we can control our emotions by controlling our thinking. It's as simple as that. But it takes a lifetime to master. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I interview my friend Gigi Mattel, who spent the last 21 years devoted to mastering the skill of shifting emotional suffering into a state of ease. I asked Gigi to come onto the podcast to share her story and her advice for how anyone, no matter what they've been through, can find a way out of suffering. Gigi Maddle has been a facilitator and teacher of women's empowerment retreats and workshops internationally. She's taught somatic practices and the inquiry work of Byron Katie and places her focus and enthusiasm on exploring the human potential, personal development, and mystical realms. She works with people to awaken their innate qualities and to move them forward in a meaningful direction in their lives. For all of her adult life, Gigi has been committed to ending suffering, and in this interview, she's going to share her best practical tips. So please enjoy this deep interview with my friend, Gigi Maddle. My dear friend, Gigi, I'm so happy to be able to have this conversation with you and to share it with the community because you're someone in my life who I know who've studied more paths to not suffer even in the face of pain um, and to take, to, to use our minds and to use all the tools available to us to, um, to not suffer. And I really want to be able to ask you questions about this and to be able to share your wisdom with the listeners here because I think you have so much to offer. So I'm so grateful for you taking this time right now.
1: Mm, thanks, Jordana. Well, wow. It's mutual. Um I I am delighted that we can rift and kind of hang in this conversation. It's one of my favorite conversations and um and it's an honor to you know to to share in this way with you. So thank you.
0: So just let's for anyone who doesn't know you, talk about let's let's just hear your story, what life was like before, what your journey has been. Uh, what what tools you gain and what the benefits have been of those tools just take me through the whole story and 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 all the things that you can teach to help along the way
1: <laughs> And how much time do we have? Just kidding <laughs> as much as you want to share <laughs> do, do, we, do we, we have 30 do we have 30 years to break all of that out more now, or less we, more I'll, or less' I'll give you I'll give you the short synopsis. Um, some of my backstory, which I think is significant in my, my journey, um, is that I was adopted at birth. Uh, I think that there's a very specific blueprint that's a beautiful gift with, within adoption. But, but part of that blueprint is this very profound sense of, I don't belong and a very profound sense of, I'm not wanted, um, some different modalities and teachers that I've had along the way have really worked with me on this sensation in my body of being the very existence of me is not enough. And, and that's always resonated with me on the level of like the gravity of how much pain I've been in, you know, throughout my life. So, so entering in, you know, with, with these blueprints and, and I always feel like Like we've chosen what challenges we're going to take on and really grow through and learn through and undo in one's lifetime. So um, I was very sensitive as a child, able to perceive the environment around me. I've worked a lot as an adult with women and as a facilitator of women's groups. And in my experience, I find that, inherently in women we have the gift and are the gift itself of feeling and sensing into a room it's literally our birthright it's what we're capable of doing without even knowing that we're doing it so um oftentimes within the experience of being a woman there is um our innate what we're born with gifts as women of perceiving and sensing and feeling Often times become our our biggest challenges and limitations of feeling, sensing, and and experiencing our emotionality. So
0: because it could be so because it could be so painful.
1: Painful, yeah, really painful. I do
0: think that most people can relate to that of being younger and feeling like we don't belong, especially in the LGBT community, um, and feeling not enough.
1: Hmm. Mm. Hmm. And that's a whole other, a whole other thing that, you know, later in life did happen when I started dating women. Uh, those particular experiences that you just named were very, very, very strong. Then it's it was like the double whammy of really not belonging, you know. Um, that added on there was, uh, was like exponentially painful. What was my life like? Um, grew up in, in a family that had the dynamics of, of physical violence. There, there was physical violence in my home. My, my brother was a chemically imbalanced human being. He's no longer alive. And, um, and he was very physical in the household. Um, there were multiple times where where my mother would hit me or have punishment for me for something that he did, and her statement to me would be, you know, I can't punish your brother because he would he would kill me if I were to hit him, so this is for your brother. And so it was like a really bizarre um, just environment of, of even adding to that heightened, you know, um, real desire to check out. I, I started drinking very young, and from this place where I am, which I'm almost 50, and I'm 21 years sober at this stage. Um, and, and back then, what what connected for me was what I'm feeling that's so painful is not painful when I drink. It really became my um, elixir to not feel. It was a way that I could numb out. It was a way that I could escape uh, these these very grandiose emotional experiences that back then I just couldn't they were too overwhelming for me and um, so I started drinking very early um, I had the fortune and the misfortune on some level I was a very successful alcoholic so I didn't have the the ramifications that that people have I was still successful in school, you know, successful in high school, successful in college. Like my, my drinking was allowed to go on for a really long time without having any, um, it, it wasn't until I moved to New York that, that things escalated to a degree where I, I, I needed to step into the rooms of AA. I moved to New York, uh, I think at the age of 25, 24 from, from Texas at the time I was living in Austin, Texas. I was in a relationship with a woman at that time and we moved to New York together and um, very rapidly living here, which I live in New York City now uh, to this day. But the drinking and the acceleration of the nightlife here was off the charts. There was no stop. There was no ending. There were after hour parties that began at six in the morning and. And I did not have the capacity to control or contain how I was using. So it, it accelerated my suffering very nicely. And um, at the age of 27, it was clear to me that if I continued in the way that I was currently using, that I'd be dead soon. I, I had a, a very active... Alcohol and and drug addiction. That that at that point in time, I was isolated from my friends. Very few people around me. Still successful in my work, but and I was at the time working at VH1 as a as a video editor or something like that. I'm not even sure what my job was, <laughs> but whatever it was, I was successful at it. And all of that to say that that I I, I remember pulling down this tray I I had a ritual that I would do I would drink wine with my friends and then when they would leave and I couldn't wait for them to leave and when they would leave I would get out either the Jack Daniels or the tequila and um, I always had like a gram of coke around and I would do lines and drink heavy liquor uh, until the very very you know six in the morning and it was in that moment of pulling down the tray and seeing like, this is my life, that th- this, this life fast forwarded goes into a grave somewhere. It, 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 doesn't have a rebound. It doesn't have a, you know, a, a Phoenix from the flame, <laughs> like birthing into something extraordinary. It's like a moving in, in this direction has a very known outcome and that particular evening, which I felt was poignant for me, because throughout my drinking, and I really wasn't a drug user, but I used drugs to continue drinking, because I obviously get drunk to, at a certain point, and I like to continue drinking. There was 10 years where I really tried to stop drinking, and I, I just couldn't. I, I wasn't able to uh, ever impact my drinking Uh, Until this one evening, and I'm living on the Upper West Side at the time, I'm on 85th and West End Avenue, and I have a roommate and I'm in my room and, and I asked for help. I didn't know who I was asking because I didn't have really a, a religious belief system. But I was just like, I really need help in in this moment. And that, whatever that call out was, um, from that moment until current day, I've been able to get help through the rooms of AA and, and also, you know, have, have been sober for a very long time. So all of that to say that for me, sobriety represented, it. when I look at my life experience, there was suffering and separation And alcohol was used to not feel that suffering and separation. And when I set down the alcohol, there was a loads of other things. It wasn't just about getting sober. There was like all of these other things that then I needed to develop through and change or shift, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, you were covering up so much. And then once the alcohol was no longer there to cover it up, now it's time to really face the music and figure out how to live without numbing and and really live with all that was underneath. And so what did you do?
1: Hmm. Well, I was super gentle with myself because I was an emotional wreck. And I remember thinking my my mantra would become if I was kind to myself that day, then it was a successful day. It really didn't matter what else. It didn't matter if I got out of bed. It didn't matter if I flossed my teeth. Uh, at the time, I was waiting tables, um, and and that was my guider. You know, the the thing that I held as my framework of you know, uh, was I kind today
0: to yourself?
1: hmm Yeah, just just kind in my thoughts was there was there some kindness that I could extend to myself? because uh, it really, really was a, I'll say that first year of sobriety was um, monumental. you know they they say that you emotionally are the age that you started drinking, like you pick back up your emotional development. So I was you know, living in a twenty seven and twenty eight year old body but had the emotional capacity of like a fifteen year old.
0: this mantra of, Um, of you waking up every day, and a successful day is a day where you are kind to yourself. I think that's beautiful, and I love the idea, but how exactly did you do that? How does one do that? What does it mean to be kind to yourself? What are the things that you say? What are the things that you don't say? Mm -hmm. There might be people who've, who've never experienced that in their life, or maybe they're experiencing it, and they don't realize they're experiencing it, and they don't realize that they're being successful in that way. Mm -hmm. maybe expanding upon that
1: to, to really explain what you mean by that. For me, what it meant is on my mirror, I had this mirror in my bedroom and I would put up, there were a few things. I was very suicidal before I got into the rooms and I made a pact with myself, an agreement with myself that it would be fine to kill myself, but I could not do it drunk. That, if I was gonna take that step and 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 exit this life, that I needed to first try life sober. And if I was still in that much pain while I was sober, then you know, we could I could revisit the discussion. I could have a, a new negotiation with myself. And so on my mirror, when I would sit down in my room, it would state that if I woke up this morning, then I'm meant to be here. That was a big one that I needed to lean into. And then, on being kind was being able to find one aspect of myself that I liked. I actually had a lot of self-hatred at the beginning, which is nothing that I can even access now, um, but but really got very dark with my thinking, you know throughout the the course of 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 my of my alcoholism. And so, so on being kind, it was clear to me, though, if, if, if my thoughts were unkind, you know, if there was a judgment, if there was a criticism, and I would say, you know, thank you, but I'd move it off to the side and I'd find something as though you would extend it to a small child or as though you would extend it to an animal, you know, all of us have that moment that we're connected with our hearts that it is authentically, genuinely kind in some way. And I would access that. So and you'd feel uh,
0: yourself being terribly judgmental towards yourself and you'd be, and that would be almost a wake up call that, because you were feeling this terrible judgment, you'd say you'd pause. And then as if you were speaking to a small child or a cute furry animal you'd find one thing about yourself that you liked and that was your way of practicing kindness and that was your definition of success for that day that got you through.
1: Yeah. I like that. That is correct. That's beautiful. That was my practice, yeah. And um, so through the rooms, I found myself and got my footing and and, um, was able to stay sober and and had a, a really beautiful... Uh, I think the rooms of AA are, are profound, and such a gift for anybody who is struggling with it, with any kind of substance addiction. So whether that be, you know, alcohol or drugs or marijuana, um, cannot speak with more endorsement and enthusiasm for the this bedrock of structure that it gives. And then, at about eight years of sobriety, and at this time, i'm I met my wife in the rooms. I uh, met uh, the the woman who I ended up marrying. She's no longer alive, but we we were together when we both had three years of sobriety and did a, a really beautiful life journey together. So, at about eight years of sobriety, I was still in pain and and just being sober wasn't enough. I mean it was amazing and and a, a radically different life lived. But I wanted more than just being out of pain. I wanted to be free in 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 a way that I knew that I could be free or or that I had glimpses of at early childhood that I felt was obtainable. And so at that time I started exploring through the body a friend mentioned um what's called it's a method that's not around right now so i'll just call it a somatic body-based method where you work with a practitioner on moving different traumas through the body on releasing trauma in the body and integrating where your emotional body is and your physical body where they can line up and, and, and be in unison. So at that time, I flew to LA, I worked with a practitioner and really, really found, I connected to aspects of myself that I'd never touched before. And it was as though I was experiencing home for the first time. And that home being a place of ease in my own body, a place of of grace I use that word a lot grace as you're just well it doesn't matter what's occurring you're 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 beautifully landed in a place that is home and I was so taken by what that method was and what it gave me that I actually oriented my life Uh, at the time I was a real estate broker in New York City I still am by the way but back then, this is like 2008, I wanted to really dive into like what that experience gave me. I wanted to I felt like that was an answer to something so profound in my own development. that if I could land that, if I could control that, if I could claim that state, being, if I as Gigi was able to access that state at any time, then i'd always be home then i'd always be well then i'd always be at ease then i'd always be in in a, a place where my emotional state or state of being was pleasurable and and i decided to dive into that as a study i actually moved to europe at the time and and lived in multiple countries and studied the body of work and became a practitioner of it. And
0: So let's pause then. What are some things we can access to be at home in our body, have ease in our body at any time?
1: Well, great question. It's anything body, but, but the real body work comes one-on-one with a practitioner where you're, you're moving through something rather than just hitting you know, it, it it's it's the attention of the mind and the body in unison together. So if and I it's were a to practitioner
0: write... who understands where trauma has manifested itself in our different body parts and then through certain types of touching
1: That's that right that energy
0: honey. can be moved. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm gonna have you give a list of course at the end and we can have links to all the body practitioners that you do recommend but for people who are living in places that are too far to access those or who couldn't afford to work with them individually what are some other body-based practices that that exist out there that people can look to that they may be able to afford or may be able to access in the places where they live
1: yoga is a a great entry point Uh, breath work so different breath modalities. There's even um, breath work practitioners, um, I, I think, are pretty universal. Um, acro yoga, ecstatic dance. Which means,
0: yeah, what is ecstatic dance? What, what separates ecstatic dance from regular dance?
1: So ecstatic dance is a, 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 a name that's been coined that a group started a weekly come together where you just have two or three hours and someone's guiding through music. You know, there's no talking on the floor. You can do different kinds of it. It's really a safe space to explore movement through the body of however you want to freestyle. So that's ecstatic dance.
0: So it's freestyle Um, and why, and what would, what are people doing when they're moving through the body? How is, how is it different from regular dance?
1: You'd have to experience the container of it, meaning that the the music that's curated and selected is um, music that really incites movement throughout the whole time period. And it's also a a way that you're exploring people typically with the idea of dance are self-conscious and can be shy or intimidated or or shut down where this is. It's so celebratory, you know, and, and there there's there's this dropping of attention being on you because everybody's really, really there in in their own space, like celebrating something. And it can be goofy and awesome and great and outlandish and it it it's you'd have to go and experience it. If if the idea of any kind of movement beyond yoga excites somebody, then they would love ecstatic dance because it's, it's like the body doing what the body loves to do, which is to move.
0: Is it always celebratory or, 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 can they sometimes be moving through other kinds of emotions?
1: Well, therein lies the, you know, the human conundrum. What do you label as celebratory? Some of my most celebrated moments have been my most deepest grief stricken, painful moments. So it, it's both sides of the coin. It's ecstatic joy and it's ecstatic pain. It's the full spectrum. You know, I've I've been in fetal position on the kitchen floor in in literally feeling like a scalpel was was carving me from the inside out. And it's been one of my most pleasurably painful experiences so to me it's all of it It, it, it's if it's an emotion that you're feeling it's all celebratory pain grief loss joy pleasure ecstasy slight happiness you know mild sleepiness like whatever whatever the full buffet is of the human experience of emotions that's ecstatic dance so for any, anyone listening that doesn't have ecstatic dance in their communities, my suggestion and invitation would be to find two to three pieces of music that you really like, that you really connect to, that you enjoy moving to, and without anybody else in the room, or you can have people join you, but you put on those three songs and you allow yourself to just move, close your eyes and and move literally as though nobody was watching you and that you had nothing. It's just you with you exploring the music, exploring the movement and and breathing simultaneously. And um, that is a great place to start to land in your body and to shift a mood and to change uh, a current moment into something else we, we, everybody has accessible, you know, their own bodies, even in solitary confinement, you could stand up eyes closed and allow yourself to experience the space through movement and breath. So when we speak about what are practices that are tangible that people could do, um, would be, any kind of movement practice associated with dance or qigong or Tai Chi. Um, I'm not as familiar with those, but I've seen them done. I've watched them in the park. It's not part of my practice, but they're they're beautiful movement practices. For other options, you could do acupuncture if you wanted to work with a practitioner. Um, you could do massage is really, 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 really great and therapeutic. Why
0: is it that all of these different body movements bring you that wellness and grace that you can access at any time, this ease in the body? How can, how do we connect this sense of wellness that can be accessed at any time to the body movements or to being worked or having our body touched and worked on by a practitioner? How do those things connect? Why does this help you get Why does this help you feel more grace and wellness in in this life?
1: In in my experience, the only thing that I'm ever suffering ever is my thought about something. It's my, my mental thinking is why I'm suffering. And when we're physical, you're not thinking. When you're breathing, you're not thinking. When you're experiencing a movement your mind is not active so when we look at being a human being and having a physical body a meat body a dense body I'm looking down at my body right now and seeing my legs and I have an emotional body that is that is housed within my physical body I have an intellectual mental body that's housed within my physical body uh, there's a, a beautiful teacher whom I've, uh, who, who's a, a, a main teacher of mine. Her name is Byron Katie. And one of the things that she guides is that thought precedes everything, which is in my experience of how it works. I can't have an emotional response to something if I wasn't first thinking something. If I'm sitting here looking out of the window, I'm looking right now at, at, Lincoln Center. I'm sitting in New York City. Outside my window is Lincoln Center. Before I have a thought of Lincoln Center, I can't have an emotional reaction. So if I think Lincoln Center, I might have an association of, oh, I love it. Oh, I hate it. Oh, it's a shitty building. Oh, it's a great building. There's a thought that proceeds, and then I have an emotion. And when I have an emotion, I have a physical sensation, and then I have an experience. So if you're asking why be physical, I can guarantee if someone is a human being and they're suffering something, then they're thinking a belief, they're thinking a certain mind construct that is giving them either a joyful experience or a painful experience and if i'm in a painful experience and i'm aware that i'm in a painful experience and i want to change that if i stand up and am physical if i stand up and do kickboxing if i stand up and do yoga oftentimes my mind can still be active in yoga but if i stand up and and move and do sound and breathe and and and, and engaging my physical body in a certain way I can short circuit that thought. I can short circuit that experience and have it move into a different experience in that moment. When I first came back from Europe, I'm going to throw this in here because I thought it was hilarious. I looked at a fire code that was up on the wall and I just spent three years studying specific things, right? And this fire code said, if you're on fire, stop, drop, and roll. And I thought that's the answer. (laughs) That's the answer to getting out of any difficult moment. It doesn't have to be that you're on fire, but even that is a great metaphor. If you're on fire and in a lot of pain, stop what you're doing, drop on the floor, roll around and stand up, you're going to be in a different experience on the other side of that of that actionable. You know, if you're having a shitty emotion that you want to get out of, if you stopped, dropped, rolled around on the floor, laughed, and then stood back up, you'd have a different experience. So whenever we're suffering,
0: that's an emotional pain. <laughs> and it's thinking that precedes
1: all, everything.
0: everything, because it's the thought that then leads to an emotion, which is a physical sensation and experience, and so body movement is a great way out of it. And you mentioned Byron Katie, which is also a way of undoing the thinking, which is another thing I know you studied very deeply. Is that correct? mm mm-hmm. Is this the right time to get into that? Can or? you
1: can you go follow me here on this? Let's see if let's see if we can do this. Can you find for me Jordana? Yes. The last time that you had an uncomfortable experience. When's it, when's the last moment that you were in a mood or you had a judgment or it was just a bad day? Can can you pinpoint one moment that's been recent that was just kind of crunchy that you it wasn't what you would choose to experience? Yes, yesterday. Now, go forward 5 minutes. Okay. Five minutes before that, and what was your experience? I was just working. And you weren't having a crunchy experience, correct? Not yet. <laughs> and what was the catalyst that had that crunchy experience starting? And my, what I'm trying to guide your attention toward is that there's a thought that comes that we start giving a lot of weight and validity to.
0: Yeah, I um, I guess I judged myself for something
1: I had done and got upset about it. And without that thought, pre that thought, five minutes prior to that thought, everything was just neutralized, correct? More or less, yeah. There is a place of neutralization before it is that we start thinking of anything. Let's say, I don't know, I'm going to make this up. So a, a car, a taxi cab, let's say that's supposed to be one place isn't in that one place, and they started charging me a wait time, right? So I'm pissy and I'm going to call. And
0: And they were supposed to be in one place, they weren't there, and they're charging you even though it was their mistake.
1: Yes. Okay, yes.
0: so take us through it.
1: Prior to that moment of stepping outside of my building, I was in a neutral place until I thought – They shouldn't be charging me a wait time and the moment that I have that thought they shouldn't be doing they shouldn't be charging me a wait time I was neutral and the moment that I have a thought that comes in I shift my emotional experience to be in a bad state or an uncomfortable state or all of that to say that nothing happens without thinking that I have a thought or a judgment that something should be a certain way. It should, something should be or do or happen other than it is. And that's when I suffer. So in why body and why would we do a body practice and why, why would any of that be interesting or important is that you cannot be, when you see these great skiers or surfers or tennis players or, Anybody who's in the zone physically, their mind is quiet. You're not, you're not suffering. Now you might have a thought after it that's judging what you did or how you performed, but but when we go back to the base of the body and we're just physical, the mind cannot be dominant. And if you were in that crunchy state that you remembered just from yesterday, if you were to stand up and do some, some you know, swing side to side or roll up, roll down or a, a, a very basic f- physical something. It would shift how you're experiencing. It might not get rid of it completely because the mind is tenacious.
0: Nor would it change what happened, but it would change how I feel on the inside.
1: Yeah, you would. It would change what your em- emotional state. No, we never change what's happened. My best friend just died you know I can't change that she's dead but how I change how I engage with her passing is either very joyous or it's very very dark you know I can't change that my dog needs some kind of spinal something done but I can change how I react to that I can change how I experience you know glass half empty or half full and and if you have the capacity to hang out on the half full side, then it can be fun and silly and 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 not as monumentally painful as if it's on the half empty side.
0: So let's really dive there because you, your best friend just died and you said that could either be painful or it could be joyous. I'd really love for you to explain how it could be joyous and, and how that can be celebratory. I don't know that that's so obvious to everyone. So I totally, am, I think it's, it's, it's clear that we can stop the thought and we could stop the suffering by moving and getting into our body so that therefore the thought isn't there anymore. Um, but then how do we go from that to actually there being joyous experience?
1: Well, it's a great question. And, you know, there's this saying that a tree that you experience that is high, a a tree's height, right? So if I'm looking at a tree right now, it's extending up into the sky, that its root system into the ground is as deep as it is high up into the sky. And so what you just asked in how can I do what is a level of mastery, really, of a state of being, I would want to leave everybody with that we're always in a place of refining and and doing and and achieving like there's never going to be a place in in my life that I've just accomplished it and I've arrived like I'm always deepening or expanding or going toward because what, what you're asking is not you know it's it's 20 years into this that I've been that I've been doing it and what I've what I've noticed is that 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 it is achievable, but it's not going to be achievable on, on the first go. I, I just, I mean, for, for me to sit in a place where being the caregiver and part of a community for Rhea's terminal cancer, her actual death, being bedside with her when she died, like I could have never reached those heights that I reached. In, in having and uh, in, in really finding a grace and a celebration um, without putting in, you know, it's not the McDonald's fast food moment there. It was everything that I did as a foundational to, to get there. And, and a lot of that was just basic undoing of my own suffering. So if I were to say, if somebody came to me right now and my life depended on saying to them, what are, my, what are my biggest takeaways of how one could really shift something in their lives that they wanted to change? I would say that addressing your, your physical body to get you in your body, which quiets your mind out of any of the modalities that we mentioned, yoga, acupuncture, tai chi, qigong, core energetics, uh, emotional release systems um, uh, that, you know, the working with a practitioner that would do some somatic practices, which we can give links on to the people who are listening for later, like physical body of coming home, because you need to be home in order to integrate and digest these different emotions and and thought processes that are happening so on a physical level tending to the physical body and on an intellectual level byron katie's work has been a profound game changer for me um she has free stuff all over youtube that is a great entryway to starting to undo the mind where the mind is, is is keeping you locked in a way of thinking that's painful.
0: But let's dive for a second deep into Byron Katie because I think you're someone who studied her pretty deeply. Okay. And when you say Byron Katie, um, and it, we're coming back to the idea that it's the thought that is preceding all the emotion and remembering that five minutes before we had the thought, we weren't having that emotional reaction. So recognizing that it's not the thing that's happening, but our thoughts about it that's really causing the suffering, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that, that, that nothing is ever occurring. Nothing is ever occurring, except the story that we're laying on it, except the judgment and contrast that we're laying on it. When you say something is bad, you're gonna have the experience that it's bad. And when you say that something is good, you're gonna have the experience that something is good. And it's as simple but not easy. It's as simple as shifting what you're naming and claiming something to be. You change the story of it and you change your experience a thousand percent of the time. You reframe, you recognitize and, and, and you, you, when, you, when you relabel the power of the word, if you're naming it to be something, that will be your experience of it. And when you change it, so Byron Katie's work is four questions and a turnaround, which are, is it true? First, just even giving space for, for what you so strongly believe that, that should not be happening. Is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How did you react when you believed the thought and who would you be without the thought? And then taking whatever that thought is and turning it around to its opposite, turning it around to the other, and turning it around to yourself. That's the baseline premise of her work. And she does it magically and beautifully. I mean, I don't need to go into depth with it here because you can find it at the work dot com. And there's at least 50,000 videos of her, you know, she's been doing this for, I don't know, 35 some odd years now. But when I can take the, the, if, if I were to say, what is Byron Katie's work? It's coming back to the base of, I have a glass that's half full and do I perceive it to be half full or half empty? And Byron Katie's work gets you to to see that it's half full.
0: And anytime we're having a negative experience, underneath it, there is a thought and a judgment that something is bad, and, and that's what's making us suffer. And we can ask ourselves, yeah, we can really or, look or that, at
1: that. and you can, even say, you can even say, you know, bad is one way to say it, or you could also say that that there is a thought that something that's occurring shouldn't be occurring. Like if it's raining in Berlin and you think it shouldn't be raining and you're suffering that it's raining and it rains all the time in Berlin.
0: Or that someone has died and she shouldn't have died or someone has hurt us who shouldn't have hurt us.
1: That's right.
0: Um, and, and that causes so much suffering. But, but the pain is, is in the past. The thing that happened is in the past. What's making us suffer now is not the thing that happened. It's our thought about what happened. And our choosing to think about what happens, our focus on what happened and the, the judgment that we're giving to the thought about what happened.
1: Brilliant, absolute, and right on the money. And you
0: have, your journey has been more than a 20-year journey towards finding a way to stop our suffering. But, but just for the sake of really helping people who want to get started, it's the sense of moving the physical body to, get, to make the thought stop and then also to, to look head on at this thought and realize that we're the one creating the thought and labeling it and judging it and, or the thought itself is a, is a label and the thought itself is a judgment and the thought itself isn't serving us and is creating the suffering that we're feeling and those being the two greatest, I don't know, paths towards, towards peace. If I had to sum up everything we've talked about, is that, how am I doing?
1: You're doing beautifully. <laughs> well, I, I always am precautionary when it will feel too, too mental or cognitive or wordy. Uh, yes to what you shared. And I would state it like this. If someone is suffering, to first know that there are numerous ways and resources, genuinely, wholeheartedly, and fully to have a different experience in life. There is an end to suffering. And each of us find different teachers and modalities that speak to us. I'll come back to this. I said this earlier, but I do believe that we're never, ever without the guidance from Ultimately, it's our higher selves. Ultimately, it's like, I'm never not with what I need. It might not just look at, it might not look like uh, how I think it should look like though. Like like
0: I like how you said there is an end to suffering. I think that's such a powerful thing for people to know. It,
1: it, it, and And I can guarantee that anything that somebody is going through in this life experience, as a human being, there's a way out of what you're suffering about that experience. And the ways that I've personally found coming through, you know, very heightened states of of pain was working with Byron Katie's work, really having that be as an automatic process now with how I with, with how I experience life and working through the body with a practitioner in some modality where somebody can really guide you into being in your physical body in a way where you are calm, quiet, confident, clear, and literally at peace and ease at home. And so... What are the benefits that you
0: have experienced now from having done all this? What has life been like since you've discovered these tools and resources and since you've taken this journey?
1: So I often sit in that contrast and, and the contrast is a lot of gratitude because I remember when I wasn't here, like I can, I, I, it's still very clear to me of what life used to be like and where I sit now as, as a woman, as a human being. I used to only mistrust people. I used to have very, very, uh, like, like a level of mistrust of, of other people was extremely high for me. Um, I don't experience that at all like i have some people that you just shouldn't trust like that, they that's just very clear you know but they're they're clearly doing something that it's like oh hi i'm untrustworthy and it's not you know I, I i i'm able to engage in in really beautiful friendships and connections with people and and my own connection with myself you know i had profound self-loathing and self-hatred where i'm sitting now is a state of a lot of gratitude in life and nothing needs to be happening. I could have, you know, immense debt and best friend just leaves or like whatever somebody's worst case scenario is. You don't have to have all the good stuff lined up in order to sit with a fullness in your heart and, and a profound gratitude for life and the life experience. So I'm able to choose what emotional state I want to experience at, at this stage of my learning, where where nothing's ever being done to me, uh, nothing, I'm not the victim of anything. Uh, I could say that that wasn't the case prior to to coming out the other side of of where where I am currently. Um, so trust, capacity of connection, Intimacy within myself, within my own heart, with others, Um, I have very, very rich and colorful friendships and relationships. And I'm currently not in partnership, um, but I have a a profound capacity to show up very powerfully and very fully in, in an intimate sexual relationship with someone. Um, and I wouldn't have said that that was the case. I had a lot of scarring prior to the work that I've done.
0: So you've healed sexually as well. So anyone who's, who's experienced trauma in that regard and who has blockages sexually, there's also a way out of that. I think people don't always realize how much healing is available.
1: Absolutely. 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 Yeah, absolutely. That could be a whole other podcast interview. Well, thank God we're connected. You send me an email and I'll be there. I love it.
0: (laughs) Are there any other things I should have asked that you'd want to share that I haven't asked or any other? Obviously, we're going to have a link below. I'll have links below that um, can connect people to body practitioners that you recommend and resources that you recommend. But Are there any other final thoughts that that you think are important that haven't been said that we should,
1: that should be said? I guess and any, any final thoughts would be that again, wholeheartedly and, and confidently stating that there is not one thing that a listener would be going through that isn't undoable, that isn't reframable, that isn't, transmutable like even the worst possible scenario that someone could imagine themselves in or that someone actually is in the experience of there's a way out and through and another experience to be had even on the other side of where they currently sit that the content of it doesn't matter the story of it doesn't matter, that whatever the experience is, there is an opportunity in one's human life to shift that and and bring that into a state of, of ease, you know, ease and, and neutralization, let's say. And And then um, eventually
0: even joy and celebration, as you then say, with enough work. Heck
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm so grateful for you sharing this. I'm so grateful that they took the time to really share your journey and what you've learned and how you got yourself through this.
1: Jordana, you're the best. <laughs> I love you, Gigi. You're the best, honey. Well, listen, thank you. And, um, yeah, let's, let's keep, let's keep creating a life that that inspires us, you know, cheers to that. I never, I never, never thought it's, it's funny, you know, remember, I never thought that I could wake up and feel good and excited about my day. Like there was a time period where the norm was just a, a very depressed and, and dismal state. And And on the other side of that is like, oh, my God, it's such a great life to be in. Even the shitty parts, it's a great life to be in, you know.
0: Even having just lost your best friend and ex-wife, even having, you know, whatever it is that you're going through.
1: It's a great life to be in. Absolutely.
0: Well, I'm lucky to have you in mind. Thank you for being on this call (laughs) with me, Gigi.
1: I love you very much. I love you too, honey. Thank you. I'll see you and talk to you soon, Jordana.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this interview and you want to see a powerful example of the kind of body movement work Gigi was talking about, go now to the Women Wanting Women website on the blog post for this episode. Because on the website, I posted a video of Gigi on the day of her best friend and ex-wife's funeral. You can see her in the video processing her loss and grief through dance and movement the way she talked about in the interview. During the interview when Gigi was talking about integrating intense life experiences through the physical body, this video shows what it looks like when she's practicing it herself. It's a beautiful tribute to the love between two women and I highly recommend you check it out. There's a link below to the blog post for this episode and it can take you right there. And while you're there, we would love to hear from you. Gigi taught us a whole lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and have hot passion and intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a guidebook for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a quick guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, You automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and personal updates from me that I don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, don't forget that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. (laughs)
1: Ha, ha, ha,